everyone. Thanks so much for joining our very first podcast on the Thoughtful Millennial. Um, I'm Halima. Yes, and I'm John. <laughs> um, and our podcast is where we reflect on our rapidly evolving attitudes on everything from productivity on how to become a more sustainable human. Sounds like a lot, right? <laughs> so, John, where do we start? How was your week? Week was fine. Lots of things to do, but overall good. And what about yours? Yeah, it was good. So uh, I'm actually starting, uh, well, I'm three months into my new job. So it's my three-month anniversary. I am fasting. We're coming towards the end of Ramadan now. Um, but otherwise, all healthy, all good. Um, I'm really enjoying it. What about you? How's startup world? Oh, well, what can I say about it? Um, it's just a lot of work, but actually enjoying it a lot. It's always really fulfilling to, I know, create new releases for the platform we're creating. So, yeah. But anyway, yeah. I think we should start about like talking about our motivations to keep going or what is like our motivations to work on social impact, because I think we are both working on that at some extent. So I would like to know first from you. So it's such an interesting one because I have very much followed like the normal path of anybody, any, any human kind of going to university, straight out of uni, I'm into a job at a corporate company, and then I've gone from one job to the next, right? Um, but I suppose the only difference was I was always super motivated by sustainability. And I studied engineering. Um, uh, I have a background in engineering. And I always wanted to, you know, make some sort of sustainable impact. And then when I studied the degree, I realized, oh, this is, <laughs> this is not what I thought. This is not the uh, impact that I thought I would be making, probably like a few people um, experience. And so I realized even at work, I wasn't getting that kind of, impact or opportunity I wanted to make so I started just applying for things outside of work like competitions um, change maker opportunities looking at forums with like-minded people on how we can start start solving some some problems uh, in the sustainability space and I actually went to this innovation lab that was my first kind of experience with um, sustainable, well, sustainable innovation labs, and it was um, it was a lab called Unleash, um, and it was the first one thousand person innovation lab, and I think it was in two thousand seven, two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen. Anyway, it was a few years back now, and um, there was a, a keynote speaker there. I don't remember who she was. The the name uh, passed me, but she was super cool. Because she said, if you don't get fulfillment during your day-to-day -day work, seek opportunities outside of work where you do get fulfillment. And I just thought that completely resonated with me sitting in the middle of these 999 other people in Denmark, all crazy about sustainability. I thought, yeah, this, this woman's onto something. Like, this is what I need to continue to do. And then hopefully one day, you know, the career and the social impact can intersect and I, I can have my absolute dream job. So even now, that's the thing that keeps me going. That's awesome. You know, and I have some questions about it. What was 
that initial feeling or how you actually got into sustainability? Because you said that you were, you know, kind of motivated by that already. But what was that first thing that you that drive you into that direction? Oh, my God. It's how far do you want to go back? It's I think it's it's when I started learning about the greenhouse effect at school, you know, as a 11, 12 year old. That's when I realized, yeah, I want to plant trees. Uh, I want to just reverse climate change. Like that's when I probably had the feeling of, yeah, I want to be a change maker, which I know is a symptom of millennials and and actually it's it's not necessarily about making global impact i actually feel that the the focus should be more on local now but it's not a bad motivation to have as a young person what about you what what were your first thoughts of getting involved in sustainability when did you first realize like the word sustainability and what it stood for you know this might sound a bit surprising but it was when I was around 17 years old, more or less, okay. which is a kind of a bit late because like, I know that some people <laughs> actually, like, I, I don't know, at least the people that I know or that I follow, they are like really early into that. But like- No such thing as Long late. story short. Better late than never. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, that's actually true. But I mean, compared with the people that I know or that I follow, that I admire, um, I consider myself late. But as you said, it's never too late. But anyway, um, So basically everything started with high school. I really had a hard time there. I couldn't connect with people. Um, I was bullied, you know, things that can happen in life. Yeah. But yeah. it was about, like, I didn't really have, like, so much access to internet because uh, in my country it's not that common. It wasn't that common back then. That's why I think I also it was also kind of late because, yeah, information is now available for everyone. Um, but the thing there was that, Eventually, I started to develop this kind of empathy of people who were treated in a bad way. So I didn't want to see other people who were judged by how they looked, um, their last names, their skin color, and because that doesn't really make any sense, right? They, they are just human beings. There is no difference between any of us. Um, so when I finished high school, I wanted to create a new life. So I started to read a bit more about what can I do to make this world a better place. <laughs> and mm. yeah, it was the first time I read about sustainability and how that can have an impact on, on, on people's lives. Um, but over the years, you know, I actually applied for Unleashed two years, <laughs> uh, already two years uh, in a row, and I got rejected in, in both. <laughs> hey, But, there's uh, no shame in that. There is no shame. It's it's the trying that counts. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true. Um, and actually, like after this, the, the the situation is happening right now in the world. It's also I, I believe that there are like a lot of people that are really motivated and they're doing an amazing job. So like, yeah, the idea of just connecting with them it's really awesome. But anyway, uh, I think that eventually it was about just knowing that the people um, deserve better, and everyone deserve. Uh, you know, fair treatment. And over the years, it was just working that direction. That's why, like, right now for me, education is really important. Uh, gender equality is really important. And, you know, having a good livelihood is really important. So, yeah, that's basically my motivation to keep going, uh, knowing that every day is, an, like, another opportunity, or every hour, actually, is another opportunity to do something good, mm -hmm. not only for yourself, but also for 
for other people who might be going in the same, you know, things or suffering from the same things that you had suffered. So, um, I mean, not thinking as suffer something really bad, but experiences that were not ple like pleasant, pleasant for you. Exactly. Um, exactly. Well, I think like what I take from that, because when I hear you speak, you come at sustainability from a much more social perspective. And when I speak about it, I come from generally a much more environmental perspective. And I think it's down to exactly the, the word you said, experiences, right? It's what what triggered that feeling of helplessness or anger or frustration or empathy. I think, yeah, you put it perfectly, when we were young people. And I can't say I experienced you know, the, the social inequalities. I mean, generally in the UK, there's there's less of it, although there is, you know, still people living in poverty here, but there's less kind of visible social inequality. Whereas I suppose if you experienced that, saw that, lived that to some extent, that's your motivation. Whereas I just remember, you know, things like, I mean, can you really say you've experienced climate change as a 12-year-old? Probably not, but I just remember being super angry about it. It was the the deforestation of the Amazon, like that visual and how a football field was being cut down every minute or whatever the the, the stat was at the time. I'm sure it's even uh, quicker now. And just that feeling of as a 12-year-old, you know, your blood's boiling and you think, right, what can, what can I do? And it's very much now we, we see it more in terms of, young people coming onto the streets protesting and expressing their rights and I think honestly which might be a bit controversial but I completely understand and support them and to be honest I wish I was a young person with them because we used to be like that and I really feel like people who are now our age you know a bit a bit older um when they say, ah, it's just, it doesn't make sense or that uh, they don't understand what, why those young people are doing what they're doing. I just think they're hypocrites because we were all at school learning about climate change once upon a time. And we were all those kids that were just like, this is really easy to fix. We just need to plant more trees. Why aren't the adults doing that? We were all that, we were all Greta once and we just need to remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you know, actually, um, I think in my experience it was a bit different in that sense, because mm -hmm. I don't, re I cannot recall any experience in school learning about um, climate change. It was mostly about learning, um, you know, history or, of, I don't know, I don't really remember. It was like something meaningful. I think that the the, the thing that was lacking. That's insane to it me. Was, but Meaning. you're in you're in South America. You're like in the home of the biggest rainforest in the world. How does that not come on the curriculum? I have no idea. I mean, it was there were other times, right? Uh, we had other people. Like the government was always interesting. I must say, <laughs> where yeah. they had like different goals, or they they didn't really care much about it because uh, there was also a lot of social injustice. People not having enough money to live so that was also kind of the bigger problem back then um so thinking about you know making 
like the earth to survive another thousand years. It was like something you, you don't really talk about because you see people right. like poor people in the streets and right. they are yeah just surviving. And that's probably kind of the problem. But then it's also about the meaning, as I said, um, when you lack meaning in education, you lack of, you know, a, a, a perspective of the future. Because you know that if you can think of something as meaningful right now, then you can make a change. Like you can make an impact on that. But if you just think about history or math without thinking that what consequences or what you can create from there, yeah, it's really hard to create something that will do something better for someone else, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Spot on. I think that's where... I mean, the education system just needs like a just a rework from the beginning in terms of, yes, teaching skills, um, teaching life skills and basic skills to children. But actually, like, they, you know, they do a relatively good job of that. But just the meaning element is completely lacking. And I think that's where topics where kids do see the meaning they get super passionate about. Exactly. And I was also like, I got a conversation about something related to that some time ago, that some people, like some women actually, were kind of destroying some monuments here in my country, or actually in my city, in, okay. in, in the name of feminism, because um, they were like painting these uh, sculptures or, you know, public monuments. And people were kind of, you know, complaining about it, who they, how they dare to do that? Why are they even doing that? And, you know, at some point I also was kind of angry. Like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't really, like, if I understand it completely, I prefer not to give, like, so, like, an opinion that is really strong. But right. then I started to talk with these people who were doing these kind of things. And then they said, basically, that the motivation is that people who paint monuments, public monuments, are jailed more than rapists. So that's wow. basically the background of that movement. That's why people do that. It's, it's not because they, they just want to destroy things. That doesn't make sense. They have a meaning behind, behind what they are doing. And that's the difference between just, you know, trying to be a feminist uh, without really a goal or probably, you know, coming from a place of being hurt uh, to have a meaning to change afterwards, to, you know, send a message to the public. And of course, this is not fair. Like rapists should be in jail and so on. And, and these women, these poor women are just suffering in jail just because, you know, they're trying to send a message and it's not good. But wow. it's something like that. I think also when it comes about school, about, you know, sustainability, uh, when you understand what you can, how the message can be transmitted to others, you can create something that people will identify with and eventually will join to your efforts. So that's why I think it's important, you know, because there are some people who work in sustainability who are really like they're really passionate and they, you know, they really know a lot, but they try to, you know, get more people into the movement by scaring other people, by telling them, yeah, if you don't work with us, the earth will be destroyed or uh, we won't be able to live without wars. You know, I don't know many things that people can can think of, but then you're just scaring more people. You have to let them know that we are all equal. We are all in the same situation. And the more we work on this, the more impact we can create. And, you know, our the future generations will have a better lifestyle, right? So I think it's a different perspective. But I don't know. Those are my thoughts on that. What do you think about it? I, I mean, I didn't know about the 
the arrests um, that were going on in Bolivia on this topic. Actually, something similar came up in the UK. Um, so I think, yeah, it just makes the point. And I think that there's a couple of thoughts. The first thought that came into my mind is whenever you are motivated to solve a problem, I've I've always thought a solution consists of all of the three, like a product, a service, and governance. And if one of those, and arguably maybe you don't need to have product because you could have a, a service offering, but if you don't have the governance or legislation around a solution, you've only got half a solution because people can you know, misuse products and services. They can find loopholes. There can be unintended consequences when you design a product. And actually, it's only legislation that can make sure that a product is used as it was designed and intended for use. So I think this idea of unintended consequences just comes into my mind um, when we cover some of the topics, uh, some of the problems you talked about. And then... Oh, sorry, that's so annoying. And then the other thing that comes up in my mind on the topic of curriculum and how we exp- how we generate interest or passion in young people. And I love how we've gone off on a tangent into education and young people on this one, but that's totally fine. Is I always think now, you know, history books, history is written by the winners, right? We We kind of know that now as adults. But I remember as, as young people, you wouldn't even question that um, because your school and institution you trust, teachers, knowledge sharers you trust are telling you this is fact. Um, but the most useful thing I ever, <laughs> am I going to say this? Maybe the most useful thing I ever learned from history lessons specifically. And it's crazy that this was the only topic that taught me this was to speculate on sources and I remember that there was an excellent teacher she must she must be how old I am now actually Miss Hoy and um, she said we were learning about uh, World War Two and uh, one of the battles I think it was Battle of Tripoli and they showed a, a photo in our paper and just excuse the tangent but I think this is honestly so useful if we could teach people now she said right have a look at this photo um it's a beach what do you what do you see and we were like oh yeah lovely sandy beach um uh, no problem good weather you know we were just saying what we kind of saw and she says now imagine you zoom out on this photo and actually as you zoom out you see this is the a beach that the battle was happening on. So outside of this, you're seeing, you know, gory things or um, you're seeing uh, 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 weapons or, you know, just everything that represents not what a beach is, not what a holiday resort is, but what a battle is, which was happening on this beach at the time. And what she was trying to teach was always speculate and have a healthy level of suspicion um, on sources of data. And she was, you know, saying, you know, how can we identify reliable sources? How can we question what we're being shown? 
And I've used that, you know, now more than ever in the age of fake news. Um, we use those skills now. But how and why was that the only place we were learning that? Like, how does that doesn't make any sense to me? And why aren't we teaching more of that now um, in the age of, you know, you know, I'm not a big fan of um, TikTok, but in the age where it's so easy to get information from non-verified sources where everybody with a smartphone is a journalist, which I love, by the way, like I love this decentralized approach to journalism, but it also comes with dangers as well as successes. And so we need to be on our guard even more. Um, and I just think with going back to the purpose of this, with kids, school pupils, I should stop calling them kids, with with students to generate that interest and passion, we need to make sure we're giving them an authentic and diverse view of society and the world. And the fact that I am super passionate about environment is no mistake. That's the culmination of what I was taught and been exposed to. But I'm sure if I was learning about your experiences, just learning, because kids are like the most empathetic people. If I was just learning about them or watched a documentary on it at a young age, I would have been all an all round kind of empathetic person. Whereas at the moment, I'm just like, oh, people, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm so introverted. <laughs> like, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best with people, but I care much more about, yeah, nature. Um, but I'm sure I would have had a way more representative and healthy view on sustainability. And also just, I would have been all around more empathetic as a, as a person. And I think we just need to make sure we are aware of that and trying to challenge our own thoughts and the thoughts of others in a in a nice way, not picking arguments, but just slowing down their thought process before they jump to shortcuts and just telling them all the other all the other perspectives. Sorry, I totally went off on one there. You know No, no, that was awesome because actually that makes me think about something that I've learned some time ago in therapy. That was about when you actually um, it's the same thing related to it's never too late because when you are already an adult, um, it's easy to continue following the voice of your ego that protects you from things that happened in the past of your traumas. Mm -hmm. The problem is that when you kind of project what happened in the past to the now, like to, to when you are already an adult, um, you can tend, like you can actually have problems with other people because you think they will do the same things that people did to you when you were a child, for example. Right. So for example, like the, the thing there is that when you understand that you don't have to follow your ego forever, you can sometimes lose all meaning in your life because you don't really know what is real anymore. And that's something that happened to me, you know, <laughs> and it was so hard because I didn't really know what to do or what to follow or what to believe in. But, and it was also because this isolation that I went through during my childhood. So the process started when I, as a radius as an adult, to give meaning to the work on sustainability, 
to know that there is something I can do about it that is not only good for me and it's only uh, it's also good for others and I can use my skills in a way that is useful for everyone, right? So the more you understand this problem that is really big, there are like many areas you can work on, the easier it is to, I know, get back the meaning that you probably had once when you were a child, but you lose it because, I know, shame or problems. Um, but yeah, it was... Yeah, I think it was a nice talk for this episode. Um, yeah, I, I think... love that reflection to finish on. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, uh, as always, uh, if you like this episode, everyone who is listening to this, you can follow us. We're going to be in Spotify and every single platform of podcast you, you, you use. And yeah, thank you, Halima, for the awesome reflections and conversation. And Pleasure. it's awesome to be thank a you. thoughtful millennial with you. <laughs> and you. See you next time. <laughs>